Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Thursday morning, the 7th of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The Minister for Transport has apologised to a Sinn Féin TD in Louth. Speaking in the Dáil yesterday, Shane Ross had said Imelda Munster was like a donkey in the last race at the last fence, unlike her thoroughbred colleagues. Last night, Minister Ross said, I am sorry for any offence I caused, but by, an- by my analogy, I was caught up in the heat of debate. The debate in question had spilled over from the Transport Committee, where the Minister came in for very strong criticism over the introduction of green cards for motorists driving north and south of the border after Brexit. It wasn't just Imelda Munster who was critical of the lack of planning for this eventuality or the Minister's handling of the issue. The chair of that committee is Fine Gael TD Fergus O'Dowd who described the whole thing as an appalling mess saying every insurance company is following its own rules that there's no united front on it and he wanted to know if there is a crash out whether people will need to have a green card the next day. Minister Ross told Fergus O'Dowd he didn't know the answer. Fergus O'Dowd joins us now. We will be speaking or hearing uh, that uh, interaction between uh, Minister Ross and Imelda Munster a little bit later on the programme but as I say Fergus O'Dowd is on the line. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Uh, You were appealing for clarity yesterday. It does seem as though there has been a a lack of planning and you were asking the Minister why he had not anticipated this situation. Yes, well, I think the issue is that uh, the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland speak for all of the motor insurance companies. And there is, in other words, we have met with them and obviously they came into the doll, uh, but they can't they can't insist on each, com- each company, each separate company taking the same approach. So what has happened is that there's over a million green cards have been printed uh, some companies, we were told, are giving them out automatically uh, to persons, uh, and others you have to apply for. So, the, so you have to have the card if there's a hard Brexit. If the hard Brexit is on the 29th, you have to have it on the, on, on the, next, the very next day, the 30th. So you should apply now if you live or work or drive regularly over uh, across the border. You will need your green card, um, and uh, clearly there's a very short time to do that. And if you don't have it in the north, your car can be impounded because 
be seen as proof of it being insured because the North would be a third country as regards the European Union and, and therefore the, the recognition that presently exists North and South with your insurance company disc being recognised as valid insurance, uh, it, that would no longer apply. So it's, it's very damaging to business. It's very damaging to people who walk North and mm. South. It's very damaging to the communities. So clearly it hasn't got the, the traction or the focus that it needed. Now, part of the reason is that uh, Britain hasn't clarified exactly what their approach is. We don't know even today what would be the outcome of the votes next week. Um, so, so that is where we are right now. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it is worrying, of course. Uh, and as you said yesterday, you feel the whole thing is an appalling mess. Do you believe the minister has to take responsibility for this mess? Well, the minister clarified yesterday further uh, his position on it. Uh, and uh, he does point out, and he is right in saying that it is a matter for the insurance companies. The obligation falls, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it falls on the insurance companies. And the PSNI, I think the minister said. Yes, yeah, well, well the PSNI, yes, no, but I'm talking about north and south. It, mm. it, like, if you go north and if there's a hard Brexit, your car could very well be impounded, and that's hugely uh, discommoding to the company or the individual, particularly if you're working. And you know many uh, people do, regularly. But there is, uh, obviously, clearly, the Taoiseach also said in the dawn yesterday that it has been worked on at the highest level in Europe mm. and that he is hopeful that there will be, even, in the, even if a hard Brexit happens, that there will be an extension of the time before you will be required uh, there would be a transition period. You, you said there would be a grace period. Indeed, yeah. uh, but the minister uh, has been left without uh, being able to answer these questions. Uh, he has been left wanting, has he not? Uh, I mean, you know of that. Of course. You, no, you, no, it's, 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 you know, this is something, obviously, clearly, which upsets everybody. The solution is, A, to get the agreement, mm. bilateral agreement, if there's a hard Brexit, that you extend period of time uh, that you will be required to have one. But the the best thing people can do is apply now. You know, don't wait. Apply now because mm. if there is... And, that, and that is the advice that we heard from uh, yeah. the Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland uh, on the programme and that if uh, you're travelling north uh, of the border sometime in the future, let's say over the summer or something, you should uh, apply a month in advance. But if you're doing it regularly, you should apply now. And many people are doing it regularly. In fact, many people do it many times a, a day. There's yeah, a, a yeah. lot of people, as you know, who will bring feed from one part of their farm across the border to the animals on the other part of the farm. Absolutely. Look, it's, it's a no-brainer. You're going to have to get it. Uh, and if it happens that there is an agreement and you don't require it in the future, at least you're making sure that your insurance policy literally mm. is in your green card and, and you, there'll be absolutely no doubt about it at all uh, and not to take the risk. And I think that's, that's reasonable. For uh, do you think uh, Shane Ross gets this? I think Tim Ross does understand the issue. I've no doubt he does. We discussed with Lance yesterday again. Mm. And, um, you know, so like it, it's a matter for the European Union now. It's at that level. It'll only happen if there's a crash out. Uh, and clearly, you know, that's what the, we don't know what Britain are going to do. But do you think that Shane Ross has had to be told? Uh, because you said yesterday that he had not anticipated the issue at all. Well, Look, look, I'm trying to move the story on. I'm trying to make sure people have... Well, it sounds on. like you're trying not to criticise the minister. 
I'm not going to criticize him. I think Bob, he knows what I think. Uh, do, do, you I think, think she, do you think Imelda Munster's uh, criticism was warranted? I think that Imelda Munster is a very upright and a very dedicated member of Parliament and that Minister Ross's comments were entirely wrong, yep. inappropriate and unacceptable. And do you think that. Imelda Munster's comments were uh, entirely right and uh, appropriate? She said she he, he showed no sensitivity to the people living but, along the border areas and didn't have any understanding uh, and that he was coming to this issue very, very late. Well, I think the, I'm the personal reason with the Minister first uh, and I'm happy the Minister understands the situation now. I mean, you know, we've got to move on our, our case and clearly we all have to work together as much as we possibly can <clears throat> and things are said and things are, 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 are apologised for and that's what has happened. And I think to move it on now is to make sure you get your green card uh, and clearly... The yeah, but he, he, he failed in his duties, didn't he, in coming to the Transport Committee yesterday. This is what Imelda Munster accused him of, uh, of failing in his duties because he, he came to the Transport Committee but he did not come with all of the information necessary. She said, that said, that he did not have the inclin- inclination, the care or the concern to look into it. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think that the people that would judge me, judge her and judge Sam Ross are the electorate, and they'll pass judgment. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say anything that that you know to to exacerbate any differences of opinion. I think my job as chairman of the committee is to make sure the minister is accountable, that he does come, and that if he doesn't know the answers to questions, that he gets them as soon as possible. And what, and do, you, what, what do you think of the... proper comment between members, that's my job. What do you think of uh, the judgment uh, people have passed on you, your party, and your party leader in the latest opinion poll? It seems as though the gloss has come off. Leo, his uh, ratings are, are down by 8%. Fine Gael have dropped 3%, and uh, satisfaction with the government down 1%. Well, I mean, uh, that's a picture of what the, the electorate felt last week, and clearly... It changes as each poll changes, and it's something obviously you must pay attention to and learn from. Uh, but clearly, there isn't an election at the moment. There is one coming up very soon, and we're concentrating particularly on the European elections and the local elections, and we will have a judgment then. But clearly, you know, people, people, they change their vote, they change their minds, they they say what they think, and and that's 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 life. That's the way it is. They're not surprised though. Given, uh, well, given, given, given the poor, well, given the poor performance of government over the last couple of weeks, well, you're not I, I'm that. very happy. I'm very happy with the way the teaching is running the country. I think it's doing an excellent job. I mm. think the government are working extremely hard. Obviously, the clarity they've fought a very good fight for the country on Brexit, north and south, and I think that's particularly important. Obviously, clearly issues which influence public opinion were issues around the hospital and the mm. overrun on that. But I do believe that. I believe the Taoiseach, you know, hopefully the party will be re-elected to government because I think we're the best party with the best leader to do that. Mm, Okay, and it's not just uh, the general uh, election that the party will be fighting in uh, the coming months. There will also be the European elections. And uh, I see, uh, Fergus O'Dowd, uh, that uh, you've been appointed to head up a a new Fine Gael group making contacts in Northern Ireland. Yes, very much so. The Taoiseach has asked me to do that. He announced that last night, and I'll be working with a lot of my colleagues. The, the full detail, uh, we don't have all the memberships yet, but mm. it involves members, uh, Dawn members, councillors, members of the National Executive, members of the party, to reach across 
all the all the communities in Northern Ireland, political, social, environmental, economic, academic, and to improve our contacts, and obviously to to form opinions as to you know what what we should be doing and how our policies uh, should inform our party, um, you know, in terms of the Northern issues. So I really look forward to that challenge, uh, and I'm delighted to have something to do that's, that's, uh, that, I, that I want to do. Okay, and will you be meeting uh, with uh, the families of victims who were murdered by British soldiers and uh, <clears throat> agents of the British state? I'll be happy to meet all groups. It's across parties, it's, it's across communities, um, it's everybody. Mm. Uh, you know, absolutely, I meet anybody that, that, that either wants to meet with me. And clearly, obviously, I'd be happy to go up to North as well to meet with people up there. And um, I'm meeting Jim Darcy, who is the teacher's advisor this morning. And uh, we'll get, to, you know, we'll get our, mm. our proposals together and start working straight away. But you believe that some people were murdered by British soldiers and agents of the British state? I think anybody that's unlawfully killed uh, is murdered, obviously. I believe that the people, particularly on Bloody Sunday, were entirely innocent. Uh, and it, they were obviously more than I do. They should be, you know. And uh, but but it's not for me to, you know. Clearly, there will be a decision on that next week. Mm. And I think listening to some of the victims, the families who suffered as a result of those acts this morning, you know, you cannot but uh, deeply appreciate and understand the trauma and obviously what what they've been through. Well, it seems as though the Northern Secretary, Karen Bradley, doesn't understand uh, the trauma. Would uh, that be your assessment? Well, I, I think I think her comments were entirely inappropriate and wrong. I think it, it tarnished the matter last night, and I understand that presumed there'd be a statement or questions in the doll this morning, and anybody that's unlawfully killed is, is murdered, in my view, and a lot, anybody innocent that's murdered by whomever does does the act you know, that, that is murder. Right. That, that, that. Do, you, do, you, do you believe uh, that Karen Bradley's position is tenable? Well, Michael, I, I, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm just chairman of a group. Do, do, mm. do I think that she was wrong? Of course she was wrong. Um, but clearly, I, I think what's even more important is that we get the outcome of the investigations next week. And clearly, the Ballymurphy and Chris are ongoing as, as we speak, and I think they're more important. But is, isn't it unbelievable that, uh, that a, a week before the decision is made as to whether some soldiers <coughs> should be prosecuted for murdering 14 people in Derry, Karen Bradley comes out and says British soldiers never murdered anybody? Well, I think she's entirely wrong in that. You know, I mean, the, those people are entirely innocent in every respect. You know, there's no doubt at all about that. And I think that I don't know what the outcome is going to be next week. I think the Irish people, uh, north and south, have known that for 47 years now. That's a long time to wait for for this outcome. But anything that anybody particularly says now, like uh, you know, is upsetting to those families, particularly the, the nature of the comments. Okay, uh, music to the ears of the DUP, though, obviously. Well, I mean, the DUP or the DUP, I've had mm. to meet with them as well, and I look forward to, to engaging with them. Um, and clearly, clearly, you know, it's, there's a historic divide in this island, and our job is to try and be, bring people together and to push to get the, the Northern Ireland Assembly up and running again, because it's hugely important that local control uh, in the power-sharing arrangement 
is what the Good Friday Agreement is about, and clearly not having a, a, an administration in place for two years is very damaging to the to democracy, to the process up there, and you know to good to good governance and good government. So the mm. quicker they get together, the better, I think. Uh, and brings us back uh, in many ways uh, to the subject that we were talking uh, about uh, previously, which is uh, the green card for motorists, uh, which will result uh, in uh, the event of a hard Brexit. It seems, uh, but uh, that uh, is part of this relationship, uh, which. Uh, is questionable at the moment and may worsen as uh, these uh, events go on. Uh, But if we are in a a situation where there's a hard crash out, what will happen in time? Will it always be the case that these green cards will be necessary? Well, it's a question if if Britain, and that's it in that context, Northern Ireland, because they're technically a constitutional part of Britain, and the British jurisdiction as we speak, I mean, then you are a third country and therefore Mm. all these issues will always apply. Yes, because you are a third country, unless and until a bilateral arrangement is made between the European Union and and, and the third country, which would be Britain. It's even so Mm. silly for us to have to use those tools. Well, it is, but it is certainly in the context of a a, a common travel area, isn't it? Well, it is a common travel area, and I think... uh, Obviously, the onus, is, the onus is, is very heavy on everybody here in, in terms of how to make sure that if there is a Brexit, which there will be, uh, and if there's a hard Brexit, which would be appalling, and, you know, how we deal with that, and that's where you need, you know, the best communications, the best network of information, the best relationships, north and south, are hugely important. And if we can build in that in Fine Gael, I think that would be very useful and very helpful to everybody. Okay, and you obviously have confidence in Shane Ross uh, to oversee whatever situation we find ourselves in. Shane Ross is a minister of the government, and obviously, clearly, you know, I support the minister in his role while he's minister, and that's my job. And um, you know, I, I think, as I said, I regret very much his remarks. I think they were wrong, they were unwarranted, they were unnecessary, they were very hurtful. Uh, they were unacceptable, um, and it's apologised to them, and I welcome his apology. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment, and thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Fergus O'Dowd is a Fine Gael TD in Louth and chair of uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Transport. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Gardaí are investigating how a woman was dragged from her car by two men yesterday morning. The men then drove off with her car. Let's hear more about uh, this. Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navangarda Station is on the line. Good morning to you, Sergeant, and thanks for joining us. I understand this woman was in her 60s and was sitting in her car uh, in a housing estate in Enfield. Yes, good morning, Michael. Um, This incident unfolded yesterday morning at about 5.45am. A lady was actually in the process of parking up her car at the Myfenrat estate in Enfield. And as she was doing that, um, she was suddenly confronted by two men. Uh, She was physically dragged out of the car. Uh, Both men got into her car and sped off in the direction of Kilcock. Now, the car is a silver Renault Megane with a 09CE registration. Um, the car has not been located uh, as we speak. Now, the victim wasn't physically injured, but as you can imagine, she was uh, very shaken by this very serious incident. Um, Gardaí have carried out uh, a large number of inquiries in Enfield uh, over the past 24 hours, 
and they have established that these two men were seen walking on the ring road around Enfield uh, shortly before the incident and in fact they may have attempted to wave down a number of passing cars uh, before they subsequently stole the car from Mife and Rat. Uh, they're described as both wearing dark clothing, uh, both around 5 foot 10 inches in height. One had slim build and the other uh, had a more stocky build. Um, so we're appealing to anybody who was in the Enfield area yesterday morning from around 5am to around 5.45 if they saw these two individuals um, or if they have dash cam footage that may have picked them up uh, we'd be very interested in hearing from them. Now the investigation has been led from Trim Garda Station. The detective unit at Trim can be contacted at 046-948-1540 or indeed we'd appreciate any information on the Garda confidential line and the number for the confidential line is one 800 666 uh, And the two men walked up to her while she was parking, opened the door and pulled her out and then drove off. She was actually reversing, Michael, and she yeah. just opened her door to see how close she was to the kerb. So her door was just opened and at that moment um, these uh, men grabbed her by the arm and took her out of the car. Um, it appears to be an isolated incident. We've had nothing similar to this in Mead in recent times and it appears to be somewhat opportunistic. Um, but we're very happy with the progress we've made uh, in the investigation so far. It's still early days, but our intention is to identify these two men and obviously make early arrests. And we'd also like to thank the local community who are very good uh, in coming forward yesterday. Mm. Uh, so uh, we, we, we appreciate all of that cooperation. And if there's anyone else out there who hasn't yet spoken to us who saw these two men and who can assist, we'd ask them to please come forward. Really is a, a shocking incident. Uh, 26, 22, 6 in the morning, this woman making her way to work. Uh, I, I take it uh, that there were no physical injuries, uh, as shocking as it, it, it may have been. No physical injuries, Michael, but a very, a very traumatic incident. Nobody expects that at that time of the mm. morning on the way to work. Um, mm. So, uh, as I say, we are hopeful that we will make progress in this case before too long. All right, thank you indeed, Sergeant Ronan Farley, speaking to us there from Navin Garda Station. As he said, you can contact Gardaí in Trim or the Garda Confidential number, which we'll give to you again in a moment if you do have any information relating to this. But let's speak with local Fine Gael councillor Enda Flynn, who is also a resident in Enfield. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us. As the sergeant said there, there's been great cooperation from the community, but I take it it's a community that's in shock to some degree that this could happen at this hour of the day. Good morning, and indeed, yes, uh, the local community are very much shocked by this. It is an isolated incident, and I think uh, Sergeant Farley has described it there very clearly. Um, people just going about their business. I suppose there are a number of busy hours in Enfield, and one is that time around, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning when people are preparing to go to work. And um, so people will be gathering there, whether it's going by the uh, train or the bus or sharing cars. Um, you know, that, that's a busy time here in Enfield, all right. And I, I believe that's uh, the case in this instance, that this woman was sharing cars, uh, carpooling, as uh, they call it. Uh, I think she was going to park up her car and then travel with somebody else. Yes, I, I understand that that's the case. And, and in fact, uh, the council have agreed to uh, set up a park and ride here park and ride facility here in Enfield. They're going to spend 726000 on developing a facility in the community space. So that will be a benefit to the people here in Enfield and encourage more carpooling. But just to go back to this particular incident, yeah. I mean, uh, the local community, they're a great community, like, but they're very much in shock at this incident. 
Last night we had a community meeting here making a plan for the future of, of NCID, uh, which is supported by the council. But at that meeting, you could see people really, you know, were, were taken aback by uh, something like this happening in, in uh, such a, a, a nice village. We have, it's kind of a, a busy town in terms yeah. of people living here, but there's a lovely village atmosphere around as well, you know, here in the, in the school and uh, on the streets and so on. So it's a pity for something like this to, to really take from that, you know, what is a very positive community. It's very early in the morning, isn't it? And uh, 20 to 6, uh, some people would say it's the middle of the night, uh, but I yes. guess it's true to say that this really is uh, the commuter belt and that a lot of people are on the move uh, from well, Anfield. Uh, would there have been a lot of activity at that time? Well, indeed, as I say, around that time, and, and it is part of the, of the commuter belt, um, and a lot of people are travelling. Like, you know, we would like to see more business uh, here in Enfield so people could be closer to the work and that. But uh, at the moment, still, most people are living here but travelling to uh, the greater Dublin area, you know. Mm. Um, we hope to be recognised as part of the commuter belt in the future just to, to uh, reduce prices for travelling and that. But that, again, that's another story. We're not talking about that today. Mm. I mean... Uh, we're grateful for the support of the, of the Gardaí here. Uh, we have a Garda station here in Enfield, uh, and they work through the, the main the main Garda station in Trim, you know, and mm-hmm. the guards are always very supportive of, of uh, you know, the community and help out as best they can. And this happened uh, close so to the bus stop, though, where children would travel it, to school. It, it, I think it was, even though they'd be travelling, it was still too early for children to be at the bus stop, was it? Well, that is true, but uh, later on then, when the Gardaí were uh, making their preliminary inquiries, you know, they were noticed around the village by the children, and um, kind of the children were taken aback to see all this activity so at that time, that's the next busy time, around half eight or so here in the village, when all their children are, are making their, their way to uh, the, the, the school and so on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they noticed this activity and, um, you know, were wondering what had happened, you know. All right. It's a, it's a very young community, like there's almost 600 children here now in the school. And we, we have the post-primary school to be built. Uh, it's, it, we've, it's been announced that it'll open uh, in about a year or so, so we're, we're hoping that will be progressed quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully that park and ride facility uh, will become a uh, reality, a community that uh, you've been uh, serving, uh, I'm sure, with great pride, uh, but uh, you're about uh, to end your term in office. Yes, well, I mean, I was delighted to have the opportunity to, to, to serve for the, the five-year term, and that's what I had committed to. And I suppose over that time, I've done my best for, for the people of the, the Trim and South Mead area, and particularly along the border here with, with, uh, with Kildare and that. And, um, you know, we've got some progress made on a number of issues. Uh, but I had committed to the five years. And I suppose when you have uh, another full-time position, it's difficult to get the, 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 the balance in your own life as well as committing mm. to the work of the council and, and that. But uh, there is a new candidate uh, for Fine Gael, Niamh Suhan, who is uh, taking up the mantle. And uh, she's involved here in in the local business and has grown up in Enfield and went to the local Mm. school and (laughs) you're you're dragging us into the election campaign already (laughs) a a little early. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Andrew. Listen, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us here uh, this morning, and best wishes uh, to the woman who was uh, subject of that uh, attack. And let's uh, hope uh, that uh, the car is returned to her as well. It's a Renault Megane. And it was said to be travelling in the direction of Kilcock from Enfield at 20 to 6 yesterday morning. And as I said, the Garda Confidential line, if you do have information, is one eight hundred treble six treble one. 
Now, last uh, December, a family from uh, Syria arrived at uh, Dublin Airport. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Fakir and uh, their eight-year-old daughter, Lorca, were greeted by members of uh, the Dunshockland Refugee Support Association. They were taken from uh, the airport uh, to their new residency because uh, they were already granted residency in this country. They were given their PPS numbers and their daughter went to school where she had a place the following day. It was part of a pilot programme which is community sponsor families who have been resettled to this country. The programme was officially launched yesterday and let's hear more about it now with Brian Cloran who's a Chief Executive Officer of the Immigrant Council of Ireland which is a member of the Irish Refugee and Migrant Coalition. Good morning to you Brian and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I take it uh, the experience of uh, this family uh, sums up the objective of this scheme. Absolutely. Um, Good morning, Michael. Uh, Community sponsorship is a really interesting initiative um, imported essentially from Canada and from the UK and a couple of other locations around the world where similar initiatives exist. Um, Essentially what it is, is connecting people who are refugees with local communities directly. So allowing a, a group to come together at a local level in a community who say we have the resources, we have the initiative we have the capacity to support an individual or a family and we want to work with the state and the UNHCR which is the UN refugee body um, to do that so essentially they're, they're, they're coming up with a settlement plan mm. whereby they in, uh, undertake to provide certain aspects of a family's care so in this case it's, it's to do with healthcare it's to do with housing, it's to help them in employment, it's to help them get access to language services, and they work with the state then who identify a family who say, okay, we can match you with somebody. Um, and it's it's something that's proven over time to really be very positive. It's a win-win situation whereby, you know, the community can get involved, the community can do their part, the public interest in supporting refugees is utilised, and it also works for the family themselves because they don't go into direct provision centres, they don't go into EROC mm. centres, they go directly into a local community, which is fantastic. Uh, and just to explain to us uh, the difference in the asylum process, uh, because uh, these people were from Syria, but they fled Syria and had been in the Lebanon, as I understand it. They came from the Lebanon here to refugee status as such. They live here now and uh, are free to work and live as anybody else would. They had their PPS numbers, their child is in school and so on. They didn't, as you say, go into a, a direct provision centre, which, as we quite often hear, is a a very lengthy process uh, where asylum claims are made, lost, appealed uh, and go on for years on end in some cases. Absolutely. Well, there's two ways really that somebody who's who's a refugee um, can come to Ireland. One is the, the traditional path, as you described, to come as an asylum seeker, to apply for a refugee status here, to go through the direct provision centre, which in some cases can take, take a number of years to have their application processed and then potentially at the end of it be recognised as a refugee. The other way which community sponsorship utilises as well is somebody who is coming already recognised as a refugee. So they have gone through a process usually in the Lebanon or somewhere like that mm. where there are camps 
um, through the UN, so the UNHCR um, administer the process, and then they work uh, with uh, national governments, the Irish government in this case, to relocate that person, to resettle them from the refugee camp they're in to the, to the country. So they're coming with full refugee status. They don't need to go through the asylum process. And I should stress as well, they're coming as well, having been verified in terms of their identity and having been verified in terms of they're not somebody who is of concern to the Gardaí or not somebody who is of concern to international police. Sure. So they're, they're already Garda vetted and they're already processed essentially in terms of their status. Alright, and uh, in this case uh, the man involved, the father Zuhar Vakir, if I'm pronouncing uh, the name correctly, was a production manager for a television station before the war broke out in Syria, which of course is one of the worst conflicts ever seen on this planet and has led to the displacement of so many millions of people who are literally fleeing for their lives. But they got to the Lebanon, uh, and as I understand it, uh, the Lebanon is not a place that Syrians would consider a place of refuge. Uh, Life was difficult enough for them, uh, and that is why they've been resettled here by the United Nations. Absolutely. I I think it's, you know, internationally, the the fact is that most people seeking refugee status are in neighboring countries. So they go to the first place they can get, which is somewhere like the Lebanon or somewhere um, in the the case of Syria, especially somewhere like the Lebanon or Turkey. Um, And that's generally, I suppose, seen in many cases as a temporary arrangement, because in somewhere like the Lebanon, the numbers of Syrian refugees are so vast, it's, it's incomprehensible in the long term that the Lebanon will be expected to maintain that situation. It, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a catastrophe. It's, a, it's an emergency response. So the UN then work with national governments to resettle refugees from those countries in countries that have capacity mm. to take them. Um, and Ireland has done its part in, in that regard in taking, in taking uh, refugees from locations such as the Lebanon. So, it, so it's, mm-hmm. it's an international exercise to respond to a catastrophe like the Syrian conflict, as you said. Uh, and this family's story and indeed uh, the life uh, that they now have living in Dunshockland is the pilot or they were the first family under this pilot programme. In other words, the trial. So I take it the trial has been successful and it's hoped that more families will be brought to this country in this way. The, absolutely. So what, what the government are calling this at the moment is, the, is essentially a kind of a development phase whereby in the next kind of 18 months they will seek to resettle 50 people um, through the community sponsorship channel. Um, so they are, I suppose, at this point in time, testing out the idea, they're, they're testing out the model, and they're looking as well for public engagement. So really, this doesn't work if the public don't come together as groups, as sponsor groups, and say, we can actually come into this process and be part of it. Um, and there's, there's a lot of information online on the Department of Justice website, the Department of Justice's integration website as well, about how you get involved in the community sponsorship process. So we'd really love to see members of the public come forward and say, you know, actually, we, maybe we can do this as a group in our town, as a group in our locality. We, maybe we can come into this scheme and make it a success and then make it something that's a permanent fixture in how Ireland responds to refugee issues going forward because we see it as, as being massively positive in that regard. Um, so it's really exciting. It's, it's a really positive model of, of refugee resettlement and it's something that Ireland needs to develop on a permanent basis. All right, uh, and those people looking for refuge uh, because uh, they're seeking uh, asylum to uh, escape some of uh, the terrible things that are happening in uh, the world 
world. Uh, but a lot of people come to this country who aren't looking for asylum from those circumstances uh, from outside of Europe, and they do so legally. Uh, and uh, that's because they have skills uh, that are, are needed here and not available here uh, and have a lot to offer this country. Uh, but there has been difficulty for those people and indeed the companies bringing them here in terms of their spouses getting work. That has changed or is about to change as well. Yeah, yesterday was quite a big day, I suppose, in immigration circles. We don't get many days like it where we have two pieces of good news. So one is the launch of community sponsorship, as you said, and the second is um, easing of some of the rules around access to employment for people who have come here as family members of work permit holders. So we have a, um, a, a fairly large group of work permit ho- holders in Ireland, not as big as in the past. About 13,500 people hold work permits in 2018 are the most recent statistics. Uh, and they come for critical skills. So they come in highly skilled areas around pharmaceuticals, IT, the kind of areas in our economy where we actually can't get enough people. We can't get enough people to meet the skill base. Generally, they've been, you know, in some cases, if they have a, a spouse and family members, they can join them after a certain amount of time, or in some cases, they can join them immediately. But traditionally, their family members, their spouses in this case, weren't able to easily access the labour market. They could get a work permit themselves, but they're very difficult to get, and you can only get them if you're in those highly skilled categories. So it's been an issue for a long time that essentially you'd have somebody who really wants to work, really wants to contribute to the economy, but can't because they're, they're, uh, they're restricted from doing so because of, of their status. So a big campaign has gone on over the last year with a group called Stamp 3 Ireland, who are a group of these spouses, and we've given them a bit of assistance over the last year to develop their campaign to say to the government, ease the restrictions, let us access the labour market more easily. We want to work, we have skills. Ireland's nearly at full employment. Let us into the workforce. So essentially yesterday then there was an announcement from the government um, that they are easing those restrictions. They're, they're allowing spouses in certain categories of this group to access the labour market more quickly. And again, that's a win-win situation. So that's somebody who's not sitting at home, that's somebody whose skills aren't going idle, that's someone who can enter the workforce and who can contribute to Ireland and pay taxes and develop their skills further. So again, it's a win-win situation. So two really good pieces of, of, of news yesterday, thankfully. A big day, as you say. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us today, Brian. Brian Caloran, Chief Executive of uh, the Immigrant Council of Ireland, which is a member of uh, the Irish Refugee and Migrant Coalition. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Lots coming in in relation to the green cards, Michael. People just seeking clarification on different points. Both Seamus from Dundalk and Thomas from Dundalk phoned in separately wondering, is there a charge for the card or is it free? And Seamus went on to say that if there is a charge, you'd have to wonder, is it just another money-making racket by insurance companies? How come they have decided this and how come it's going to be implemented straight away? It seems... Uh, mad that there's no grace period especially when we still don't know whether or not there's going to be a hard Brexit Yeah well I don't think there's any charge uh, and it's not the insurance companies uh, who are forcing the introduction of this it's uh, the border and uh, the separation of the United Kingdom uh, from the EU and the EU rules and regulations uh, they become uh, a third country as such in that sense Uh, so uh, it's uh, like 
travelling to uh, America, you have to have insurance or proof of insurance uh, and uh, this green card is that uh, we heard from the Motor Insurance Bureau uh, last week on uh, the programme. They advised people to make contact with their insurance company if their insurance company hadn't already made contact with them. That's if you're travelling regularly across the border. Just interesting point on the costs, Michael, because Fiona Engine Dog rang in, says contacted both our insurance companies yesterday. One company giving them free, but another is charging twenty euro. Oh right, okay. Well, yeah, I suppose uh, that's their prerogative. Uh, we uh, heard uh, from uh, the bureau last week saying they didn't anticipate any uh, additional cost, maybe an administration cost. I think uh, they might have said maybe that's what that is, uh, but. Uh, the Taoiseach did say yesterday that there should be a period of grace and that during that grace period uh, it won't be necessary he hopes uh, to have one of these green cards because the real fear is, is that you drive up to I don't know one of the shops up the north or something like that or go to work one day and your car is taken off you. I know well I'm mm. thinking about I have a family mm. living in Belfast so I go up and down quite a bit you know so that's a worry. If John's wondering if there's a green card needed to go up north will Northern Ireland need a card to come down south yes. Which yes, you yeah. covered, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. That, but I think they're going to get a little bit of a grace period, aren't they? Well, it's in both directions, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Grania from Drogheda says she has family in Uri and regularly goes over and back across the border. Why should we have to have a green card now? Is this, is this coming from the UK government? Is it the UK that's deciding this? She wants to know. Mm. Well, as Fergus O'Dowd said, unless uh, there's a bilateral agreement, we're travelling uh, without a uh, need for this at the moment because we're all members of the European Union. In the case of Brexit, that won't be the situation. Mike wants to know, can the Irish and UK government not come to an agreement that there is no green card needed either way, whether you drive from the north into the south or vice versa? Could there not be an agreement? Yeah, I think that possibly yes is the answer. Uh, I'm not sure that anybody uh, is uh, completely certain of that, but it would have to be a bilateral agreement. And I don't think, I think the problem is that you couldn't make an agreement like that uh, because at the moment, as things stand, you're both members of the European Union uh, and it's not until that divorce takes place that you come to these arrangements. Paddy had to pull in to, to the side of the road mm. to ring us this morning, oh, Michael. Okay. He was driving and right. listening mm-hmm. in. And it's just, he says, that the whole thing around green cards brings up uh, to him the way insurance companies, he feels, are more or less allowed to operate whatever way they want in Ireland. He says they are charging over-the-top premiums. And despite all the discussions about it, Michael, nothing has been done. No challenge has been putting to them on cost. These green cards coming out how much are they going hmm. to cost? And if they are free, well, it won't be long before they're not free, he says. He wanted to mention that four years ago he was with an insurance company. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. He'd been with for years. His premium was 293. No claims, same car, no convictions, and it went up to 980. Mm. He says it just really annoys him that they appear to be able to do what they want. He says if you have an old car, you can put it through the NCT. It's considered safe by the powers of the land, but yet because it's old, they are still able to penalise you. How can they get away with all of this? Yeah, well, I think uh, there's a lot of people who'd echo those questions, uh, but there is also the question. Whatever about the green card and if they charge you or charge you an administration cost, what your insurance is going to cost if you're travelling from one jurisdiction to mm. another and the complications involved in terms of making claims and so on. Uh, undoubtedly, it's all going to be costly, but I think that is one of those unknowns and there's many unknowns attached to Brexit. Georgia says the whole thing is an awful mess. Insurance companies need to come out and explain it properly to the people. Eugene phoned in and he says, speaking as a Republican myself, the best way to solve problems like the green card and insurance that uh, could come with it. Insurance hike, he says, is putting together a paper on Irish unification and calling a referendum as soon as possible. A hard Brexit would be very unfair on those either side of the border. Mm, Not everybody would agree and therein lies the problem. Uh, Nolene phoned in in another aspect to your mm. interview with uh, Deputy Fergus O'Dowd in relation to Sh- Shane Ross's comments about yep. Imelda Munster mm. and says just typical of Fergus O'Dowd standing up for Minister Shane Ross Imelda Munster is a fantastic person who helps the people and can't do enough for them. Tim on the same mm-hmm. topic says that he felt Shane Ross's comments uh, were disgraceful and when you hear a minister speak like that you have to wonder if they're really fit for office. You should be able to take criticism without name calling. Yeah well I think uh, that's right uh, and uh, I think Fergus O'Dowd said as much, uh, the minister himself said as much and uh, apologised uh, to Deputy Munster uh, for any offence uh, taken as he said it was uh, an analogy that he was using in the heat of uh, debate uh, but I did think uh, Fergus O'Dowd's interview was interesting this morning and that he was very very critical of uh, the Minister at committee yesterday Mm. when he was speaking in uh, the committee proceedings Uh, but uh, here this morning uh, seemed to to water that down a little bit and uh, temper his comments a lot more. Absolutely, Michael. Column says, I can't help but think that if it was a Sinn Féin TD using similar colourful language when addressing another member of Dáil Éireann, that every single media outlet and their journalists would be calling for that Sinn Féin TD's resignation. But it seems that when it's a female Sinn Féin TD, an apology will do. Even Fergus O'Dowd seemed a little shy to talk about the insult to the TD, says Callum. I don't know, do media often call for resignations? 
Do we? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You hear calls for resignations through the media, but I'm not sure that the media calls for resignations. And I, I don't like playing the female card either. I think name-calling, no matter whether you're a man or a woman, mm. shouldn't be acceptable. Yeah, uh, and if it's a name referring to the gender, that's a different thing. Yes. Uh, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Name-calling, inappropriate. It was name-calling. It was inappropriate uh, and very, very wrong. Very unparliamentary, as they say. Having said that, the Minister has apologised and recognised uh, recognised his wrongdoing. Okay, when we move on, yep. uh, we had just a couple of comments in relation to that awful carjacking in Enfield. Sandra says that the poor woman trying to go to work, Michael, then she set upon and pulled out of her car. She must be absolutely traumatised. It doesn't bear thinking about. Mark phoned in to say that should we really be surprised by incidents Uh, like what happened in Enfield Mm. yesterday, that every other day, Michael, there are murders and shootings in Ireland. And he wonders, have Gardaí lost control? It's an interesting question. Here's another interesting question. Should religious symbols be removed uh, from hospitals? Uh, It's one uh, that we've been discussing, not just here, but uh, around the country in the course of uh, the last week. And Marie, you went out and about and asked people what they thought about it. I don't agree with it. Um, It's our national part of our culture here as Catholics and I don't think it should be removed I think when people are ill they look up to religious things depending on their religion for comfort and um, that's my view on it Do you think it could be offensive to people? No, I mean if we go to other countries and that their religions we respect that and we don't get offended by that, so I don't think it should be here. I I'm, I'm, have mixed feelings about it. Definitely I'm aware that we're a multicultural society, and working in the hospital, I deal with people from all religions. However, the hospital has its place and was run by nuns, and I worked there when the nuns were in charge, and they did a wonderful job. So I think possibly removing large symbols that are very prominent might be an option but having the odd crucifix around the place I don't think does any harm. What harm is it doing to anyone? Never did it done any harm over the last years and years. I think it would be offensive to somebody who's not Catholic to have them there. I wouldn't say that bothered about them. It's only certain people that's thinking that way. When you're sick all you want is care. Uh, care and get better no matter who you are or what religion you are. No, not really. I think it, it's part of the hospital and people at the last deathbed do like to have the crucifix and things like that about them. Could you see how it might be offensive maybe to somebody who's not a Catholic? Oh, well, it would be, I'd imagine so. Yes, they have their own religion and they'd like to remove it maybe. Yeah, yeah. But you personally wouldn't be in favour? No, I would not, no. I, I don't. Uh, absolutely not. I think uh, certainly locally the Our, Our Lady of Lourdes, by the very name, that, that's how it started. It's very much part of the heritage of this town. and not, I mean, it's part of the Irish culture as well. I think if uh, other religions want to you know, if they, uh, include their symbols, well, bring it in, bring it on. You know, I don't think people would object. So rather than remove symbols, add symbols. Yes, exactly, and be eclectic. But don't start imposing... Uh, on what people have found great sort of satisfaction and very great comfort over the many many years, you know, and, and say you have to remove that because it's. I think it's quite. It wouldn't be personally offensive to me. But I think it would be to an awful lot of people. Strong feelings there and thanks to those people who took time out of their day to share their thoughts yesterday with Marie Kearns for us. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. The Northern Secretary, Karen Bradley, has caused outrage by saying killings by the British Army and agents of the British state during the Troubles were not crimes. Let's remind ourselves of what Miss Bradley had to say. She was responding to the DUP in the House of Commons. I'm a little pain, Gilly. Well over 90% of the murders and injuries caused during the Troubles in Northern Ireland were caused by acts of terrorism. Very few prosecutions and investigations are underway. Innocent victims are being left behind with thousands of unsolved cases. When is the Secretary of State going to address this issue and put in place a mechanism to investigate the over 90% of acts of terrorism that caused those murders and injuries? Well, Mr Speaker, the Honourable Lady sets out the figures very, very powerfully. Over 90% of the killings during the Troubles were at the hands of terrorists. Every single one of those was a crime. The the fewer than 10% that were at the hands of the military and police were not crimes. They were people acting under orders and under instruction and and fulfilling their duties in a dignified and appropriate way. Um, I look forward to working with her more to ensure that we can deliver the much-needed reforms and changes that we all want. Now, that's Karen Bradley, who has since qualified her comments by saying she wasn't referring to any specific cases, but expressing a general view. She went on to say that where there is evidence of wrongdoing, it should always be investigated wherever or whoever is responsible. And there are, of course, matters for the police and prosecuting authorities who are independent of government. Raymond McCartney is an MLA for the Sinn Féin party in FOIL and on the line with us now and a very good morning to you Raymond and uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Do you believe uh, that Karen Bradley's position is tenable? No, I I think she has, uh, I've addressed over the last 24 hours a number of families who have come forward who who quite rightly have said that these comments were were outrageous and indeed insulting and and you've just played the clip Mm. of her, this was a very clear an unambiguous statement that she made. Uh, this wasn't something where perhaps one word could have been misinterpreted or one word could have been laid against an hour and taken out of context. This is a very clear statement that, in her opinion, British soldiers were above and beyond the law and indeed acted at all times appropriately in a dignified manner. And, you know, case after case, and we heard yesterday from the families of Bloody Sunday and Ballon Murphy in particular, you know, who said that the people... We were on the streets of the Bogside and Ballon Murphy certainly didn't act in a dignified, appropriate way. Certainly they did. It seems they may have acted above and beyond the law. And I think it also has to be put in the context that just a short time before, Theresa May, the British Prime Minister, had once again said that her Ministry of Defence were scratching about to try and come up with some legislation which which mm-hmm. would put in statute uh, a law that would prevent British soldiers from being charged. So this is at the heart of how the British government is dealing with legacy of the conflict, particularly in the North event. Uh, would you be concerned uh, that uh, Miss Bradley's comments uh, to the House of Commons yesterday were choreographed somehow? Uh, as we heard, uh, she was responding uh, to Emma Little-Pengeli of the DUP. She agreed wholeheartedly with what was said and went further. Uh, and it comes in line with uh, the Prime Minister's attempt uh, to make sure that soldiers are not prosecuted a week before uh, it's decided whether they will be prosecuted over Bloody Sunday or not. 
Many people are saying that this was, you know, it was a parliamentary question that she would have been, you know, perhaps broadly aware of the context in which the question would be asked. It came from their partners in government, uh, the DUP. But that still leaves it open to speculation, or not that it was choreographed, etc. I don't think we should allow ourselves, you know, to indulge ourselves in, you know, hypothetical situations, correct as they may be. But we should focus on what she said, and mm. what she said was very, very clear. British soldiers above and beyond the law, and had acted at all times under orders, uh, acted in a dignified and appropriate way. That's the core of this, yeah. and that's what John Bradley can't escape. She may okay. feel that she was pandering to the DUP uh, around the fact now that there is a, a focus and a spotlight on the British Army. Irrespective of that, it's what she said is what she should be tested on. And in any other circumstance, if a, if a minister in any cabinet anywhere in the world said that the state forces were above and beyond the law, then it would, in my opinion, they would be sacked, never mind uh, uh, being resigned. Okay, but my question a, a different way, I suppose, is if politics is more important than justice, uh, because we know that in other aspects of everyday life, the DUP tail is wagging the Tory dog. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't disagree with you uh, in the contention you're making, but sometimes you know, if it's hypothetical or supposition, then people can say, the oh, you would say that because you're trying to make a political point. You're right in that the DUP have been in the last number of weeks and months been part of the crusade to try and prevent British soldiers facing justice. Everybody knows that they should face due process. No one should be exempt from that. And Karen Bradley's statement yesterday in essence, is, is the British government's de facto position for a long number of years because the British government, the British army has acted with an, uh, practical immunity. But yesterday she articulated it in a very clear and unambiguous way. And the subsequent statement, you know, trying to say that she was taken out of context, misinterpreted, it's very, very difficult when you read that statement to see how anybody can claim they were misinterpreted or misspoke. They spoke very clearly. She spoke very precisely, and she, in, in many ways she was unambiguous in what she said, because in my opinion, that's what she believes. Yeah, but is it part of an unwritten agreement that makes up the confidence and supply that the Tories get from the DUP? It, it may well be, again, mm. but, but again, that would be speculation. There's no doubt that the DUP are their partners. There's no doubt that the DUP, along with uh, some, particularly within the Conservative Party, have been scratching about to find some piece of legislation, statute of limitations, you know, but designed to prevent British state forces being facing the due process. But again, and, and, and your clip shows it, this is a very clear, unambiguous mm. statement. No, this isn't, as I said to someone yesterday, this wasn't, you know, the difference between one word in a context and the same word in our context. And you might say someone was misread or misinterpreted or you're overstating what she said. If you listen to the statement, there's no room for anybody to say, oh, I made a mistake or I didn't mean to say that because it's so clear, so precise, and as I say, so unambiguous. Have you concerns about uh, the BBC, Raymond? Uh, they ran a, an interview with one of uh, the Bloody Sunday soldiers uh, who has no regrets uh, and would do it all again. Well, I, I think in terms of, of reporting, you know, any broadcast company has their own editorial uh, line and at times you may be critical of it. Now I did make the point, and I've made it to the BBC before, 
it, no, it was very, very noticeable yesterday in all their reporting of, of both of the Soldier O, uh, their written stuff on their websites and some of their bulletins referring mm. to people on Bloody Sunday dying and, and, and never said they were killed, never said they were shot dead, never, would never say that they were murdered. Even the presentation of Soldier O, Soldier O under the current investigation is obviously a murder suspect. And in our circumstance, you could see the BBC saying, we are now going to interview Soldier O, who is uh, currently under investigation. So there are times, uh, particularly in England, maybe some people might say, understandably, these are their troops acting on their behalf and they feel that they should be treated differently. But it doesn't uh, it doesn't read out well, it isn't portrayed well. When people do say that at times the role of the British Army does not get the scrutiny perhaps that it deserves, and sometimes particularly uh, reporters can fall into the softer language instead of being more challenging. And I think you might be very kind in uh, how you're looking on this, uh, because I, yeah. I, I'd have thought that it was presenting as fact that the killings, the murders, were justifiable. I understand that as well. I understand the point you're making. Uh, I, would, I would accept that. Perhaps it wasn't challenging, but sometimes in situations like this, particularly people in political life, you know, if they challenge the, the credibility or the bias of, of the media, then people would say, well, that's, that's, you don't like the scrutiny, you don't like the accountability. Your point's well made. I would agree with it. Uh, reporters should reflect. Uh, he, you know, the reporter might say, I did challenge him. So how is this a job well done, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But you're right. The, 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 if, if I or anybody else went on and was as casual, uh, overturned what, what, what Lord Savile said, that's a, an established report, he said that each and every person shot dead on Bloody Sunday were shot dead in unjustified and unjustifiable circumstances, etc., and all the language that came with it. So that should have been pointed out to him. No, you can't say that. You, you know, you have no credibility mm. said. As a matter of fact, you're running counter to even uh, the evidence presented by soldiers and tested by, by the sovereign cry. You're absolutely right. Uh, do you believe that former soldiers face the prospect of prosecution? Well, I, I mean, all these things are subject to process. There has been a number already, uh, the Public Prosecution Service, uh, and as a result of the Savile query next next Thursday, uh, the Public Prosecution Service uh, will be announcing whether or not they are going to prosecute any of the soldiers responsible for the murders on Bloody Sunday. Uh, there's much speculation, you know, but in fairness to the Public Prosecution Service, they have said they are not telling anyone and they have a process in place for next week how they were going to inform the families, obviously how they're going to inform uh, the, the soldiers who, who were obviously questioned as a result of the investigation, and then they're going to make a, a, a public announcement. And to date, there has been no leaks. People will speculate, and we've seen that because uh, sometimes in situations like this, you get political commentators you know, who think it's great to be able to speculate and say they know with certainty certain mm. things. But the PPS, and particularly the families, and I've, I've listened to John Kelly, who's, who's one of the leading campaigners on behalf of the family, whose own brother was murdered in Bloody Sunday, saying they've been told absolutely nothing. And like the Savile inquiry, and many people speculated about Savile, but one of the things that people did say about the Savile report, that there were no leaks prior to it, because we've seen in the past a, a lot of inquiries for deliberate reasons, for, for sectional reasons, there's leaks so as the media can run the particular headlines to take people away from uh, the focus. We've seen that last week uh, 
with the, the Pat Finucane judgment in the, the, the Supreme Court. Surprisingly, RTE run with the headlines that the Finucans had lost. Yet when you, when you look at the, the examination, uh, it was quite the contrary. But there was one sentence where the, mm. the judges did say they couldn't instruct an inquiry. That's what RTE mm. well, chose to run with for their own reasons. Well, they so did lose people, the, Supreme, uh, the Supreme Court ruling was uh, against them, but that was seen as a, a win because of the basis that the ruling was made. Exactly. There may be one part of it where, although the family did not ask the Supreme Court, would they instruct the British government to have an inquiry, so therefore, even in that context, the Supreme Court yeah. were saying something which the families didn't necessarily ask for. And I, I think, in fairness, uh, RTA spoke with Michael Finucane, and those points would have been made very clear outside. No, not the so, but what I'm saying is, in the context of what they're saying, sure. is yeah. that sometimes uh, broadcasting uh, broadcasters have a responsibility, and sometimes they are open the accusation. Uh, you know, I mean, even last night, uh, some of the reporting from RT last night about Karen Bradley, as if she just, you know, this was a. a a blind moment and she's not very experienced and she's not up to the subtleties of things. You know, that type of language is sometimes nearly as insulting to people as what Karen Bradley said. Mm. It should be called for what it is. Karen Bradley insulted the families yesterday in a very clear way and people shouldn't lose lose focus of that. Uh, And what does it mean? Uh, I mean, where will it go from here? What's next? Well, I, I mean, I think that the, the the ball is very much at her feet. Uh, I think that she should be reflecting on it. She should reflect on the damage that mm-hmm. she's done. And she should be reflecting that if she doesn't resign, and I have absolutely no doubt a big part of the decision-making processes in Westminster this morning will be the Brexit. And mm-hmm. here we are, you know, talking about something else and... Brexit is is all around us, and sometimes we can't avoid okay. it. But and it'll be raised in the doll today. Uh, 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 have you expectations of the Irish government? Well, the, the, I, I I would ex- expect uh, uh, if there's questions asked today, whoever answers them should be saying very very clearly. They should listen to the families, uh, you know, because sometimes uh, people might say people in political life have a, a, a political view, and they they they, they will articulate it to their advantage. Listen to the families and listen to the families who have been affected by the killings carried out by the British Army. And what they're saying very, very clearly, that Karen Bradley has damaged herself. So confidence in any process going forward, confidence in what she says. You know, each time she speaks in the future, then quite legitimately a a journalist or a a political representative or a family might ask, is that what you really mean or are we only here in a half an hour's time that you mean something else? Right. That's the damage that she's done there, Okay, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you indeed uh, for joining Thank us uh, this morning. Raymond McCartney, Sinn Féin, MLA for FOIL. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, we've been hearing about how a woman was uh, dragged uh, from her car early yesterday morning in Enfield by two men who then stole the car and drove off with it. The woman was Mairead Cregan, who's on the telephone now. Good morning to you, Mairead, and uh, thanks for joining us. You're obviously an early riser, and if you weren't fully awake yesterday morning, I'm sure you were woken with a hell of a fright. I sure was, yeah. How are you? Yeah. I'm still a bit shaky, Michael. Mm. Kind of um, just wondering, did I dream about it? Mm. You know? Yeah. Tell tell us what happened. Uh, You park uh, in the estate normally, do you? This is what I do. I work in Dublin three days a week. Mm. And I go in early on a Karen's bus. But since November, my daughter does a split shift up there. Our company rearranged things. So I go in with her. 
So we meet at this housing estate. Now, sometimes she's there before me or sometimes I'm there before her. But thank God I was there before her yesterday because she's heavily pregnant. Right. I'd parked the car. I'd opened the door to make sure it was tight into the curb, you know, doing things properly. Closed the door. Then I was debating would I bring the umbrella with me or wouldn't I? You know, it was mm. going to rain and so on. And this fellow appeared at the door and ordered me out of the car. And the guard was saying earlier on you had the door slightly open when he appeared. Yeah, but I had just mm. closed it when he appeared, you see. Okay. I don't know where he yeah. came out of, I don't know, because, well, he came out of the walkway, I'd say, going into that state. Anyway, he dragged me out of the car, and I have a very bad back, so it, it, it takes me a while to get out of the car and to get into one. Mm. So, of course, he probably thought I was stalling, and he dragged me out of it. And um, at this stage, then, I started to scream for all for Ireland. And mm. there was another man walking across at the opposite side of the roadway, mm. and I screamed at him to help me. So he came over all right to help me and he jumped into the passenger side of the car. He was your man's accomplice. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, of course, when I started to scream, the fellow who was driving, going to drive the car, he drew a punch at me. So I must have, I obviously put up my hand to save my face because there's a big bruise on it now. Really? And it slapped back into my chest. So I'm achy there as well. Yeah. You know, but they took off and within... I ran down to the bus stop. If anyone that knows Enfield will know exactly where. The bus was only a few steps down. It's at Super Value. And there was a very nice chap there. Who, I know now who he is. I didn't know then, but he rang the guards. The guards were cruising the area looking for these pair anyway. Oh. So the guards were there in seconds. And I have to say, the kindness that guard showed me was unbelievable. He was so nice, so good, so kind. So but my daughter then in the meantime mm. appears and she sees me in the patrol car. I had to tell the guard, just tell her, you know, I didn't crash the car. She, <laughs> she probably thought you were being arrested, yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So the two of us anyway went down to the barracks and made the statement. He made me coffee and he was so, so mm. good. So then she brought me home. But you see, what happens, Michael, is your whole life is disrupted. Mm. Then I had to cancel my... You see, the handbag was gone. Everything was gone. Mm. The house keys were on the car keys. So my two daughters were here and the locks had to be changed. Of course. The bank card had to be cancelled. I had to ring the insurance company when they opened at 9 o'clock, cancelled insurance. All sorts of things had to be done. Mm. So it's a terrible inconvenience. And your and phone, I take it. I take it you, you, you oh, had... it was gone, yeah. My daughter organised another one with the same yeah. number. She mm. got that from me yesterday evening. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was All in the gone. handbag. Mm. Now, of course it was, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I but suppose... The point is, sorry, sorry, go ahead, you go ahead. The point I was going to make, mm. you see, there... Cutting back on guard the presence in small rural areas, and I really think that has to be looked at again. If there was more guard presence in villages like Enfield, I honestly think the crime rate would drop a bit. You know, because mm. Enfield is not open. Twi- it's not open twenty four hours per day. It, I don't know how often it's open. I'm not sure if it's open. We'll say um, a few hours in the evening. I'm not sure, but if you need a guard in a hurry, it's trim that will come out. Did you wake up this morning thinking that, or would you have felt that way last week, let's say, Marie? Oh, I felt that, like that for a long time. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. The, the, you know, the, but less, le- less secure. And that, be left out. They have to be kept open, more guard the presence, definitely. But less yeah. secure today, uh, I'm sure, uh, and undoubtedly yeah. as time goes on, uh, I mean, I think the way these things are, it ends up playing on your mind uh, and, uh, you know... Yeah. It has that effect, but as bad as it was, as much of a shock as it was, as injured as you are, you're glad that it was you and not your daughter. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God, it just doesn't bear thinking about. 
you know, just about thinking about, thank God she was late. Mm. Yeah. A few minutes late, but then I was a few minutes early, so, you know. What about the car? There's not a sign of it at the minute now. That's the last report I heard last night. And sure, I was listening to to mm. um, the sergeant, yeah, uh, Ronan, mm-hmm. yeah, Sergeant mm-hmm. Ronan Farley, and he's even said this morning, uh, no sign of the car. Mm. So I'm without a car now as well, at the minute. Mm. Yeah. Uh, do you think that you could have or should have done anything differently, or uh, I mean? Oh, I'm, looking I'm not, back I'm, on it, yesterday I'm thinking, yeah. why the heck didn't I kick the shins off? Or why didn't I do this <laughs> or that? But then it could have been yeah. more. You see, he could have had a knife up his sleeve. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. He didn't have any weaponry, but I saw. But you don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's well to give him the car and let him off. No, no. no. <laughs> or them. <laughs> I didn't mean that as such. You know, I mean, I know a lot of uh, people get into the car and close the door, like lock the doors uh, in case somebody yeah. tries to rob the handbag or something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I don't think you'd have had that opportunity. I'm not even sure why I was asked no. the question. It's just the way no. you know. You know the way when these happens, these things happen to you. You reflect on it yourself afterwards, and you think, "What if? Yeah. What if exactly? Yeah. Yeah. What mm-hmm. if now? Mm-hmm. If I didn't look to see how close to the curb I was, the door would have been locked. Mm. Now, what I would have done then? He would have put his fist through the the window, I don't know. Yeah. Because I had plenty of room to reverse back and get out of there. Mm. Go somewhere. Get away from them. Mm. But I mightn't have reacted knowing me. Now the car would have probably cut out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're doing something in a hurry and, you know, fight. Did they talk to you at all? Did they say anything? No, all it was was get out of the car, get out of the car, yeah. get out of the so-and-so car. Was it a I local accent? No. 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 Oh, no, they weren't local. Mm. No. I know who they were, but I better not say on the radio. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know them personally, but yeah. I know where they came from. I okay. Good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure but, you've... Uh, yeah, they wanted the so-and-so handbag as well, of course. Mm. I'm sure you've made that known to the guards as well, who you think... Oh, yeah. 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 They yeah. know. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. Okay. But you're uh, alive to tell the tale, which is... I'm alive to tell uh, the Everything tale else can be replaced. The car can be replaced. Exactly. The bag, the cards, yeah. all that stuff. Uh, and Yeah. Uh, and it is a bit of a nuisance, because, you know, we have to... Like my daughter rang the bank for me to cancel the mm. charge. You know, then I turned the insurance company. My other daughter then sorted out a re- uh, replacement driving license. My driving glasses are in the car. She's that sorted as well. Mm. I'm, I'm short sighted, so I need glasses to drive. But of course, I've nothing to drive anyway at the minute. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But just yeah. Uh, also, Michael, just before yeah. um, mm-hmm. you go, can I just, I can't thank the Gardaí enough mm. how good they were. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And when people are here all the time giving out about the guards and the guards, they were fantastic yesterday. I couldn't praise them enough. Yeah, you must and be. And the whole community as well, because I'm not on Facebook, my daughters yeah. are. And yeah, yeah. what do they call them? Um, not hits, but whatever way, likes or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 likes, yeah. Hundreds of people <laughs> were texting in and hoping I was okay and they'd do anything for me yeah. and, you know. I'm sure it's a, a bit like a, a dream at the moment uh, that you're wondering yeah. if it did happen. It must have been yeah, the oddest thing listening to us talking about it on the radio earlier and all of that. Uh, yeah. But it will sink in, I'm sure, in time over the next few days. Uh, and do mind yourself uh, and uh, I will take care indeed, right? I'm sure by the sounds of things, you've got a, a great group of people around you as well. Absolutely. Great family, yeah. great friends and neighbours. and Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Listen, mind yourself and thanks very much. I for will indeed. Us. And thank you, Michael. Thank you very much indeed. Mairead Creek and speaking to us there from Enfield. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's hear some of what is now that infamous debate uh, that took place in uh, the Dáil yesterday between uh, the Minister for Transport, Shane Ross, and Sinn Féin TD in Laos, the Meldemunster. Firstly, I'm delighted that you could make appearance this morning, um, that you, you're due to your pressures of work, and I hope you hadn't to skip your 11sies. But we spoke about this last night. Um, your problem is, Minister, that the problem isn't solved and other ministers had managed to um, resolve issues around their briefs, you know, and in particular in relation to the, the, the um, common travel area, you know, and the, they had managed to do it. Why? Because they put the effort and the time in to do it. And I don't know if you realise, or I won't say that you don't care, but I don't think you actually realise... Um, just how important these issues are for people living in border areas and the nightmare that it's going to be. You're going to have workers travelling, particularly in relation to licences and green cards, but you're going to have workers travelling to work on a daily basis. You're going to have family visiting family. You're going to have um, tourism, tourists, all of that. But even down to a farmer driving a tractor across his fields, if one field is in the north and the other is in the south. Does he need a green card? If he has an accident in his tractor, does he need a green card? These are the basic day-to-day issues that that are leaving people in total confusion as to what um, they they need and what they have to do, and you've done done nothing to resolve it. Minister Coveney had actually made it clear that the option um, for addressing The issue is under Article 8 of the EU Motor Insurance Directive and the EU can give a waiver to Britain and the North for the requirements for green cards as they did with Serbia in 2011. But again, you made no attempt whatsoever. You literally made no attempt. I mean, it's hard to credit, given the problems this is going to cause for people, that you put no no real effort in. Um, You should have been pushing the EU to get the waiver. I mean, everybody knows that. But you didn't, and you've let everybody down, Minister, in not do, by not doing it. Um, it seems to me that you're, uh, overall, when you think of the problems it's going to cause, you're completely blind to the sensitivities around this issue. I mean, you're just, you're just. I knew from the time I'd asked you in the Transport Committee about the green card that even the basic bits, even the basic bits of, you know, when when was it due? When would the people have to pay for it? how many, you had to be prompted for that information. Now, see, you didn't come in with all of that information. And what does that tell? That tells that you hadn't the inclination or the care or the concern to look into it so that you were right across it, that you made representations to the EU in relation to the EU. If other ministers could resolve issues in their brief and you didn't, well, that really about sums it up, Minister. Minister Ross. Uh, thank you, Gianco. I'd, I'd like to thank particularly Deputy Munster for the contribution, which has echoes of every contribution that she ever makes. And I must, I, must, I must respond now that she's here to some of the things that she says. Um, you came in here last night. You, you, you reminded me, you know, We had a very sensible discussion here last night between two of your colleagues, Deputy Doherty and Deputy Osnodig, about green cards. They were mature, they were sensible, 
They were constructive, and I thought, as I said before you came in, and you were late here today again, I, I thought, as I said before you came in today, that what they were doing was something very constructive. We couldn't agree to what they were doing because it wasn't in our power, but they were representing their communities extraordinarily well. They were like thoroughbreds in a, in a horse race. You came in, as you normally do, and you're like a donkey at the last race, at the last fence. Uh, Minister, you ups upset Minister, the whole apple cart. I would ask you to use parliamentary language. And I don't think no. you should. Minister, hold on, hold on, Deputy, Deputy. Yeah. 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 Hold on, yeah. Deputy Dart Minister Darty. Minister Darty. Excuse me. Deputy Munster, please. Deputy Munster. Deputy Munster. Deputy Munster, please. I'll deal with this. I'll deal with this. Minister, as I, I told you, there's cooperation all around. I was in the chair for uh, a long time yesterday. We've made progress, yeah. and I would ask you not to be inviting interruptions and use parliamentary language. Uh, and we have 21 minutes, so let's use the 21 minutes to answer the practical questions that were asked. Yeah, but unfortunately, I just want to say this, because it's important that we're constructive. I agree with you. Yeah, but forget about uh, the word donkeys. And, well, uh, it, it was just an analogy. The, 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 well, it was may a, well a destruction of a very good argument. Uh, it was a destruction of a very good argument made by her colleagues. Uh, and as is so typical, she comes in and, and ruins the debate by making accusations and statements which are simply inaccurate. First of all, and this is relevant, young girl, she said... She said that for some reason I had been responsible for the green card amendment being ruled out of order. You had to be corrected by the Kian Call about that. You're long enough of this House to know that the Minister doesn't make rulings on the green card or on amendments. But you deliberately misrepresent without interruption. You went on to say, you went on to say, and you've said it again here today, without any justification, no evidence, nothing that we'd made no effort whatsoever on the green card issue. That is just simply untrue. Why did, what do you base that on? You base it on nothing. Because representations have been made... Please. Representations have been made consistently about the green card issue by my department, by the government, by government officials on that particular issue. And they have represented Ireland well on, the, on, on that issue and represented the case that the green card is unwelcome. We don't want it. Of course we don't want it. But it's an, but it's an, EU, it's an EU decision, and at every single opportunity that we get to ask them to remove it, we take it. But you come in here and say nothing's been done at all. You're speaking from the basis of total ignorance, because you never asked the question. Because you never Everyone asked the question, please. and now you've got the question, answered, you don't like it. It's difficult. Okay, the Minister without interruption. It's, Minister, it's most uh, important in an issue of this sort that we have a mature debate, that we don't throw wild accusations around, that we do ask questions and get answers, as you're entitled to. You're a democratically elected uh, person. You're entitled to them. But when you make statements like that about the chair, okay. about, about the minister ruling something out of order, it, it's just nonsense. Okay. When, you make statements, when you make statements about the government and me having made no representations, it's rubbish. Okay. They have been working tirelessly to, to do precisely that. And the green card Monster, is something we have not yet achieved. But we're going to continue. We're going to continue to work for the removal of it, of it at the earliest possible opportunity.
Let that be put, let the, that be put on the record. And to say that I didn't answer your questions on the, at, the, at, the last, at the last committee, it's just nonsense, as is everything else. Uh, you asked one question, you asked one question, which I didn't answer because I didn't know the answer. And it was about whether, they, whether people were going to be prosecuted in Northern Ireland if they didn't have a green card. Now, the answer to that is, I don't know. And nor do you. And nor does anybody else. Because that's a decision for the PSNI. And I'm not going to, under any circumstances, predict what course of action they'll take in that situation. So I say, quite rightly, I don't know. If you know the answer, get up and tell the House. But you don't know. Deputy, please. You don't know. De my, please, Deputy, could I just remind the House that there are 17 minutes left and I just observed that there are many other practical questions and let's use the 17 minutes because I have no uh, choice mm. but to put the question. Well, so it didn't go any further from there. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, there was more interaction between uh, the two politicians. Uh, that's uh, the Minister for Transport, Shane Ross, and Sinn Féin TD for Loud Melda Munster. But that's where our programme comes to its conclusion because our time has run out on us once again. Remember, there'll be a podcast available of today's programme on our website, lmfm.ie, this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing and Maggie McGuire for researching. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwin. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.